How are you guys doing this morning? Isn't it a beautiful day outside? Absolutely incredible uh, as we say goodbye to February and, and we're launching into March really soon. I cannot wait. Springtime in Kentucky is one of the most beautiful places on earth and we are very thankful for it after this uh, pretty crazy winter. So uh, I am so glad that everybody's here. Thank you for joining us in person and online. We're continuing in our series called Church That Puts God First and uh, we are in part three called A Growing Church And the main thing, like Donovan said, we will always grow the expense of Satan's kingdom, not God's. Okay, so as we launch into this, there are two ways that I'm an, I'm an adult. There are a lot of kids in here that are still growing. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about the adults. There are the two ways that an adult grows. Uh, one, you can gain muscle. Or two, you can gain fat. Now, they're not the same. The scale tells you they're the same. But they are as different as they can be. But as long as you're only looking at the scale, you all, you think that growth is occurring. In the same way, there are different ways that churches grow. If you only measure attendance, you think progress is being made. But just like in a body, there's good growth and there's bad growth in a church. All right? One way that many churches grow is called transfer growth. It's when somebody leaves, uh, leaves one church and comes in here. All right, George, and, and that, another way is called conversion growth. That's when somebody who's not a Christian uh, become, comes into a church, accepts Christ, and becomes a new creation, new believer. Both can be good and both can be bad. They really can. Transfer growth is bad. When uh, people arrive at a church with no desire to be part of the church, insisting on their own agenda and not being part of the community or engage in the mission, uh, they either just want to sit there and consume or they have agendas. Like I said, either way, it's not healthy. But the, the, the nice thing about unhealthy transfer growth, they rarely stay long term. I can always tell when somebody is not going to be here long. Because when they come into this church, they always tell me about the 15 other churches they were members of in the past 15 months and how awful they were. And I'm like, okay, we're about to be number 16. I know that, okay? Uh, and conversion growth can be bad when a person has no desire to grow. They come in, they get fired up about Jesus, and they are baptized, and they're all fired up, but 20 years later, they're in the same place where they were 20 years before. They haven't grown, all right? Like I said, they're fired up about Jesus, except Christ, and are baptized, but they have no desire to grow, and you wind up with a church that exists on a kindergarten level. So trans, some transfer growth is bad, some conversion growth is bad, but... Transfer growth is good. When people find a better fit and they can engage in the mission of the church, they're, they're, they begin to grow. That, that's good. That's fine. Okay? Conversion growth is good when a per person, person is truly surrendered to Jesus Christ and, and engages in discipleship and, and a lifelong walk with him. Not all growth is good. Not all growth is bad. We as a church want to have healthy growth. Well, I'm, not, I'm not interested in gain, gaining fat or growing cancerous tumors on my body. And I'm not interested in gaining fat or growing cancerous tumors in this church either. And you say, well, can, can a church get cancerous tumors? Absolutely. They can. I've dealt with them. They come in, they're divisive, they're ugly, they're mean. Uh, and, but like cancerous tumors, they usually announce their presence loudly and we need to cut them out to save the body. <clears throat> so guys, not all growth is good. We want the right kind of growth. Uh, the kind that Jesus preached. We want to avoid the kind of growth that Jesus uh, avoided. And you say, well, Jesus didn't want to grow his kingdom. Well, how many times did Jesus perform a miracle and he told people not to say anything? You ever wonder about that? Because if I had the power to heal people and perform miracles, 
I would be posting that on Facebook and TikTok, man. I, I, I mean, I would be, hey, look at this, everybody get in here. And, and, and that would be a great church growth thing. If I had that kind of power, that's why Jesus hasn't given me that kind of power. See, he knows. But see, Jesus didn't want people that wanted a show. He said that when he, when he performed a miracle, he didn't want people that wanted the magic show or wanted entertainment, wanted the big thrill. Jesus has never been into that. That's why when he performed a miracle, he said, don't tell anyone about this because Jesus wasn't interested in entertainment seekers and thrill seekers. Jesus wanted people who wanted to commit their lives to him and lifelong discipleship. That's the only kind of growth Jesus was interested in. That's the only kind of growth we're interested in, too. All right? So to have good growth, but we must prioritize reaching the lost. And how did Jesus do it? Well, we have to do it the way Jesus did. So how did he do it? Well, if you guys turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, very famous story. It's sung about one of the most popular children's songs that they sing next door. Or at least I did when I was a kid. Uh, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, so why did Jesus come here? To seek and save the lost. Say it louder. Why did Jesus come here? To seek and save the lost. One more time. Why did Jesus come here? Seek and save the lost. Exactly. So if his church is his body, what is our job? To seek and save the lost. Exactly. But this is why the church won't save the lost. Number one is this, is we don't think in terms of lost and saved anymore. Remember in Luke 19, we're like that crowd in Luke 19, 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he'd be, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, the foundation of their beliefs were wrong. They weren't thinking lost and saved. They were thinking like us. They were thinking good and bad. Okay, and the good people that we think of are people that look like us, dress like us, believe like us. Those are the good people, and the bad people are the ones that don't. We don't think in the church in terms of lost and saved. We think in terms of good and bad, and that's not the way that Jesus does things. Okay, Zacchaeus was bad, believe me. He was a thief, he was a cheat, a liar, a scoundrel, stole from the poor to enrich himself. He worked for the, for the occupying force. He was a traitor. Believe me, they had every reason to believe he was bad, and we're the same way. Church, it's time to look at ourselves right now. Do we really think in terms of lost anymore? I mean, I mean, we say we do, but is there any real concern for the state of a person's soul before God right now? Is there any real concern over sin? Is there any real concern about the sin in someone else's life, let alone ours? Maybe, but not really. Charlie Peace was an English career criminal whose burglaries and murder earned him the death uh, penalty 143 years ago. During his final walk to the gallows, they had, uh, the condemned man was visited by a pastor who, who, it was his job, he was paid by the state to, to, to minister to condemned criminals on the, on the way there. And, the, and at, the, the 
pastor told him to seek God's mercy before he met God as judge. And the pastor who had been making such an appeal many times for the convicted uh, men facing execution seemed to deliver this appeal to heaven with the same passion that he would maybe reading the yellow pages. Um, There's no zeal, no winsomeness, no urgency, what the pastor had to say, particularly when he mentioned the reality of hell. Charlie Peace, just moments from his execution, as the noose was being put around his neck, said this, and this was, these were his final words. He said, sir, I do not share your faith, but if I did, if I believe what you say you believe, what you just read to me, Although England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and breadth of it on hand and knee and think the pain worthwhile just to save one single soul from what you just described. So who do we most resemble? Do we resemble the board chaplain droning on about hell? Or, not, or do we resemble the atheist murderer who took the word seriously and couldn't believe the pastor's attitude? See, the church has stopped thinking in terms of lost and saved. We think in terms of good and bad. Oh, they're a good person. They're fine. The Bible makes it clear the default position of humanity is lost. A person can be nice and still be lost. A person can be honest and kind and still be lost. A person can be the kindest person you know and still be lost. Did you know that? And we understand that in every aspect of our lives except faith. Al Capone, the Chicago gangster, cared about children's health. Did you know that? He used his political influence to sponsor bills, one of which was to make milk safe for Chicago's children. Can you, you never mind that he was a psychopathic murderer, pimp, bootlegger, and gangster. Uh, uh, but can you imagine Capone standing before the judge and, and the, the, literally the stack of bodies right there that he had killed and murdered and saying, but yeah, judge, I, uh, I, I sponsored uh, a, a, a milk bottling bill. Uh, see, I, I, I'm good. And the judge would look at him and say, you get no credit for that. You're a murderer. And when I got my first ticket as a 17-year-old driver, I made a Nicholsville stop, which if you're not from Nicholsville, it means you don't stop. Okay, I see all the cops going, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I made a Nicholsville stop and I got pulled over, 17 years old. I didn't get any credit for the thousand times I'd stopped at a stop sign before that. Okay? I just got busted for the one I ran. My senior year in high school, when I got suspended for leaving campus to get McDonald's for a day, uh, the principal was there, and we were wearing our letter jackets with our names on them. Great criminal minds, we were. I didn't get credit for the 11 years that I'd stayed on campus for lunch. As a matter of fact, this was the very first time I'd ever left campus. First time, I'd, I didn't even miss a class. I went out for lunch, and I got busted. Didn't matter. I got suspended for three days. So you don't get credit for the good. Only a fool would try that defense in a, in a, in a courtroom. You, I, I mean, I, I, I imagine me before the judge. But judge, I stopped at the 500 other stop signs. Uh, but, but principal, I, I've stayed on campus for 11 years. I've never missed before. Both of them would look at me like I got three heads. Son, stay off the drugs. You get no credit for that. And we, yet we think we can try that with God. It wouldn't work on an earthly judge. Why do we think it would work on a heavenly judge? When you stop thinking in terms of good and bad, and start thinking in terms of lost and saved. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all of us stand condemned before God without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. And no matter how kind or honest you are, you're still lost without Jesus. Everyone is. 
That's why we all are all in need of Jesus Christ. For the church that doesn't think in terms of loss and saved, and yet think, and, and thinks in terms of good and bad, and good being our definition, we're not going to reach the loss because we think everybody's fine. We won't even think about it. So we need to change our thinking from thinking about people as good and bad and start thinking about people as lost and saved. And when we begin to do that, all of a sudden, the fire is lit under us. We're not that bored chaplain droning on to Charlie Peace. We're actually Charlie Peace. The second reason the church won't reach the lost is this. It can get very messy. You know that? If you start reaching lost people, it gets really messy. See, a lot of people like their churches nice and pretty and non-confrontational and where everybody is, is doing well and everybody's doing great, everybody's family's intact, everybody knows the church lingo and everybody listens to Chris Tomlin and Hillsong United in the car. That's what people like. And when lost people start coming in, it starts changing all that and it gets messy. And a lot of churches don't like that. See, I've found that when we get serious about reaching lost people and lost people do come in, a lot of times it's because because a lot of times they're in crisis. Many people come to Jesus because they're in crisis. Um, Many times they're bankrupt or they're homeless or about to get divorced or their child is about to commit suicide or something like this or has committed suicide. That's what it's like as a pastor. That's what we see coming in our doors and I love it. It's wonderful. But these people are very needy and they're very difficult sometimes and and, and they look at the church as kind of a spiritual EMT, and we, it, it's messy. And the, a lot of times when lost people come in, we're unsuccessful in reaching them, and we kind of get, get frustrated because we can't reach them. I remember uh, a, a guy showed up several years ago at our front door. He'd just been released from jail, and he had no clothes. He had no money. He had no food. It was, in the, it was like December. It was freezing cold. He had no coat. Well, we can't just throw him out on the, on the street, right? So we went down and got him a place to stay for the night down at, uh, down at a hotel. Next day, found out that he took that hotel room and invited all his buddies, and they had a huge party where, they, where a lot of them overdosed, and they got arrested. See, it's messy, you guys. And a lot of churches just don't want to deal with that. And so we don't want to reach lost people. But let's say that the church really does get serious about reaching lost people and starts growing. Well, then you start getting issues from people in the church. See if any of this sounds familiar. I used to know everybody, now I don't know half the people there. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I've heard that from church people. I've heard that from members of the church. Um, What happens when the church starts getting too crowded? Most church members, when asked what's the purpose size for the church, they say the size it was when I got here. Does the presence of new people that you don't know bother you? Well, what happens when we run out of room? What happens when the Lord blesses us with so much growth that we don't have room in here anymore and we need to go to two services? (gasps) We've done that before, but it changes things. And people that like things the way they are don't like those things. They'd rather have their church and, and, and their everything than make room for people that need Jesus. And that's why people, that's why churches in general won't reach the lost. And, and all those things work against the church fulfilling its number one mission. Jesus came here to seek and save the lost. And the church as his body, that is our number one mission, to seek and save the lost. And there are five stages of reaching the lost that we as a church have to go through, and none of them are negotiable, and none of them can be left out, and all five of them, how many? 
five. All five of them have to be done if we're going to reach the loss. The first stage is this, reaching the loss. These are the five stages we have to go through and reach the loss. Number one is repentance. Okay, stage one is, is repentance. In Acts 2, 36 to 39, uh, the first Christian sermon, Peter said, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the first Christian sermon ever preached. And this is what Peter told him to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The first stage of that, Peter says, repent. We have to repent. Repentance means having a brokenness over sin. It's not a thing of, yeah, well, I, I, I need to get a little better. I need to change it. I need to make better decisions. No, it is a realization of your lostness before God, that you are hopelessly and irret irretrievably broken without Jesus Christ, that there's nothing you can do in your own power to get yourself right before God. That is what repentance is. It is a realization of that and coming back to God and saying, I, I, I need you. I'm done. I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need you. And I, it is unconditional surrender. Unconditional. Not conditional, not I'll follow you if. No, no. Unconditional surrender. And that message, that statement is so utterly abhorrent to our Western culture that has almost completely disappeared from churches. And you know it, and I know it. Churches have tried to get people into churches by ta talking about that Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. And both of those statements are true, but what did they leave out? That you must repent of your sins. You must be broken. You must be absolutely, you have godly sorrow over your life and you're willing to change. A.W. Tozer says this, a whole new generation of Christians has come up believing that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. And that is the biggest lie from the pit of hell. We cannot accept Christ without forsaking the world. When I say forsaking the world, that means turning our back on our, our, on our former life and walking away from the things that we've, that, uh, uh, of, of this world, of these sins that, that this world says are so fine. Okay, repentance is the first stage. And if we don't have that, there's no, no sense in going through any of the others. If you have never repented of your sins and call yourself a Christian, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry, that is the first stage. It's kind of like if you're not married if you haven't gone through the wedding ceremony. I don't care what you say. If you haven't been through a wedding, you've not said your vows, you're not married. Okay? Second one, second stage is baptism. He says, repent and be baptized. Acts 2, 40 through 41. With many word, other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, what a revival. 3,000 baptisms that day. Amazing. So many, you know, uh, so many people uh, uh, emphasize baptism. Baptism's awesome. It is incredible. And it's worth celebrating. I love when people get baptized. I love it. But it's stage two of five. It's only stage two of five. So many churches, so many pastors like me like to stop at this verse right here. 3,000 baptisms. What a huge, huge, awesome victory. And it was. 
And yes, we need to celebrate baptisms and conversions, but nothing, and I mean nothing, could be dumber than stopping right there. I've seen time and time again that so many people have been taught so wrongly. They see baptism as a finish line. That's the goal. The goal is to get baptized. No, the goal is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Baptism is stage two of five. Baptism is not the win. It's not the end game. It's, it, it's stage two of five. It wasn't for the early church, and it won't be for us either. Now, do we say that a couple's reached the pinnacle of, of their relationship at the wedding? No. Weddings are awesome. I do lots of weddings. I've been, I, I, I've been through my own wedding. Walked my own daughter down the, down the aisle in November. Weddings are awesome. But they're just the beginning. A wedding is a formal commitment to marriage. But it's the next 50 years, 60 years that really matter. Okay, I attended my own wedding 25 years ago. But it's been the marriage since that's mattered. All right, anyone can go through a wedding that takes no great commitment or love or anything. Anyone can show up, say some vows, rent a tux, buy a dress, have a party, and a lot of people do. Anyone can get married. However, staying married is the real challenge. We're far better as a society getting married than staying married, aren't we? In the same way, anyone can become a Christian. Anyone can feel moved by the Spirit, feel broken over sin, approach a pastor, express a desire for baptism and new life and change the desire to follow Christ. Anyone can do that, but remaining a Christian for the next 40, 50, 60 years. Now, that's hard. Wedding is the easy part of the marriage. Living every day for the next 50 years in commitment to each other is hard. Baptism is the easy part of Christianity. Living every day committed to Christ for the next 50, 60 years, that's hard. It's a foolish society that makes the wedding the ultimate goal. And it's a foolish church that makes baptism the ultimate goal. Both are important and awesome and essential, but they aren't the goal. And that's why the book of Acts didn't end with chapter 2. I don't, I don't know if you know that or not. There's a lot more. Okay, they immediately took the new baptized people and they said, good job, you're on your own. No, that's not what they did. They did something, they moved on to stage three. All right, they made them part of the fellowship and community. They became friends. The third stage of reaching the lost is acceptance into the community. You all, this must happen. Look what happens immediately after this, these 3,000 people were baptized. Look what happens. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Remember this, people, that Christianity is far more often caught than it is taught. Okay? If I were Satan and I was trying to stop the church, and believe me, he is. Satan is trying to stop the church. He's, he's always tried to stop the church. I try to figure out the best way because not much really works. He's tried it all. Let's go back through history. So let's, let's, let's look at Satan's strategy to take down the church. First, he tried killing Jesus. He thought that would do it. Well, that brought about the resurrection and the day of Pentecost and this huge revival started, well, that backfired. Well, then, uh, if it, 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 he, then he tried uh, throwing Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. He tried that. 
You know, and, and you know, if, I, if I was a Roman in Jerusalem watching the crucifixion of Jesus and I saw this ragtag bunch of followers like Matthew and John over here, and I saw the power of the Roman Empire over here with, the, with the, you know, Caesar and Brutus, the emperors, and, and I had to lay money, who would be here 2,000 years later? I probably would have bet the Romans. But think about the absolute, uh, how, how much that has flipped. We name our kids Matthew and John and our dogs Caesar and Brutus, you know. Okay, you see how that worked out, throwing Christians to the lions and trying to destroy it. That didn't work. So then he tried persecuting the church. Well, everywhere he does that, it just grows. Well, he, he had made some headway in the Middle Ages by wedding the church in the state. It was really able to corrupt things, but even that, the church survived that. So Satan steps back and says, I need a new strategy. And he came up with one that is far more brilliant than throwing Christians to lions throwing, uh, persecuting church, arresting and jailing Christians, far more brilliant because it's been far more effective. What he did is this. I'll stop, Satan says, I'll stop telling them they don't need Jesus. That doesn't work. I'll just tell them they can be Christians without being part of a church. I, can take down, I can't take down their savior, so I'll take down their community. Satan looks at us and says, I don't mind if you hear about Jesus. I really don't mind. If I can, if I can destroy Christian community, get Christians isolated from each other, I can get them to destroy their own Christian faith. See, Christians that are a part of churches, they don't win the lost. They don't save orphans. They don't plant churches. They don't do missions. They don't reach the fatherless or, or, or the a myriad of other things that we as a church do. Satan figures he can destroy the Christian community. He can stop all the kingdom work in the world. It's a brilliant strategy. And barring some major work of grace, you know someone who believes that. You know someone today who claims to be a believer in Christ that says, I don't need to be part of the church. I don't need to be part of Christian community. I can follow Jesus better, what? On my own. A brilliant strategy because so much of the church has bought it. That is the third step, the third, st third stage of reaching the lost. Repentance, baptism, acceptance into the community, a thriving community is essential to keeping people in the church, in the faith, and doing the work of Christ in the world. All right? So don't buy the lie. Engage in the community. The fourth stage is this, discipleship. And like I said, if you're not planning on doing all of them, don't do any of them. Okay? Discipleship. It, 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 this, this basically means you spend the rest of your life living as Christ lived, growing in your faith, turning more and more of your life over to Jesus. That's what discipleship is. See, the early church took steps to ensure they stayed in the lives of their new converts. They taught them the scriptures. They shared possessions with them. They prayed together. The mature believers passed on their faith to the younger ones. That's the way the church works. That's the way discipleship happens. The older, the older, more mature believers basically said, you know, this isn't about me. It's about the next generation and the next generation of believers. Those of you that are mature in the faith, you need, you, you, you need the sermon and worship and everything as much as, any, as, as anybody, but it's not for you. It is for the next generation and the previous next generation and the next generation. I want to ask those of you that have been walking with Christ for a long time, what have you done, hopefully a lot, what have you done to ensure 
that three generations, four generations from now, the Christian faith is still thriving. I hear so much concern from people my age and up about kids these days, about the future of the church, the future of the Christian faith. Well, what are we doing about it? Have we invested in the lives of younger, maybe, maybe age, maybe maturity-wise, maybe these younger Christians are older than you, but have you spent time passing on your faith to someone else? Because without that, no matter how many sermons I preach, no matter how many, how many uh, uh, Christian songs are played on K-Love, the faith is not gonna live without discipleship, without you passing on your faith to someone else, okay? And people say, well, that's a lot of work. Can we just baptize people and celebrate that? Why all this other work? Well, that's kind of like saying a new infant was born. All that feeding and changing and taking them to soccer practice. Why can't we just, bo- why can't we just birth them? That's basically what we're saying. When we say, why can't we just baptize them? They're fine. They don't need discipleship. It's like birthing an infant and just leaving them to themselves. We wouldn't do that. We as a church can't do that either. We all know what happens to a new infant without parents to take care of it, right? Same thing happens to baby Christians. Same way without acceptance into the community and discipleship, new converts' faith will will fail. Seen it happen all the time. As a church, if we're gonna be a church that wins, we must be committed to all four steps. And you say, wait a minute, Dave, you said five. Yep, there are. Those four take place in this body. The fifth one, if we're gonna be effective as a church, truly win the lost, we have to move to stage five, and that is this, repeat. Repeat. There are two ways we repeat. Number one, we make disciples, which we talked about. You take your faith and you pass it on to someone else. That's it. If every Christian did that, if every Christian made one disciple in their lifetime, what would happen to the body of Christ? A double. And then what happens when that generation makes one disciple? And then the next one makes one disciple. What happens? It's called exponential growth. If you make one disciple in your lifetime, that's it. Hopefully we'll make more than that. The second is this. And this is what the Holy Spirit has challenged us as a church to do ever since 2020, is to be, it's to plant churches. You say, well, why in the world do we plant churches? Why in the world can't we just focus on catalysts? Why can't we just grow catalysts and have our own thing here? Well, we can't, but this is the truth. If you wanna reach the lost, church planting is the best way to do it. Statistics show this. In churches zero to three year old, like, like churches like Elevate, zero to three years old, less than three years old, 60 to 70% of their new members come from either either completely non-Christian people or people who have left churches and been out of churches for years, the de-church or the non-Christian. 60 to 70% of new members at Elevate Christian Church are either unchurched or completely non-Christian. Did you know that? Churches more than 15 years old, which Catalyst is rapidly becoming. We're gonna be 14 years old in a few weeks. Churches more than 15 years old, 90% of new members come from other churches. Transfer. May reach a few people here and there, but by and large, churches that are 15 years old or more grow by transfer growth. So how do we reach non-Christian people? We have the highest number of young churches, less than three years old as we can in the community. That's how you win the world. 
You don't win the world by trying to, by, by trying to get, get more and more transfer growth. That's not how you win the loss. You win the loss by having lots of church plants in your area. And that is why Catalyst, for the, for the rest of my ministry career, however long that is, Catalyst is moving to being a church planting movement. Uh, you know, we, we sent roughly between 40 to 45, almost 50 people to Elevate back in, back in August to plant our church. Imagine those people were here right now. It'd be pretty crowded. The Lord has already brought people, already grown us. He's already replenishing the people that we send. That's the way God honors churches that plant churches. And if Catalyst never grows past 200 people, yet has 20, 30, 50 children and grandchildren, how many lost people are we gonna be able to reach? You really wanna build the kingdom? We must be serious about planting churches. Isn't it amazing that God would call us to invest ourselves in something that does not benefit us whatsoever? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so God that he says, listen, I want you to get your focus off of yourself. I want you to plant churches and I'm gonna grow my kingdom and you'll be blessed through that, but it's not about you. That's the way God works. Okay, so the five stages, that is how churches reach the lost. Guys, I'm not interested in playing church. I'm not interested in uh, having a nice little Sunday morning uh, gathering. I'm not interested in that. That is not why God called me to, to be a pastor. It's not why God uh, uh, put me through everything I've been through. God put me here as a pastor, called me the ministry to reach the lost, to seek and save the lost. And whatever means that, that, that looks like, whether planting churches, we need to do it because that's Jesus' mission. And the closer we are to Jesus' mission as a church, the more blessed we will be. And we will hear the words, good, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of our days. So that is why we are doing what we're doing. The church that puts God first is the church that cares about what God cares about most. And that's what we want to do. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We want to grow at the expense of Satan's kingdom, not someone else's. And I want to end by saying, we, we, I said this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again, that in 2020 and 2021, we were not able to, to, to really function as catalyst. We weren't. We were in survival mode. Well, guys, Catalyst is back. We're not doing that anymore. We are engaging in the mission that God called us to engage in. And there are all kinds of ministries that are starting this year. It's like the Holy Spirit, like over, it, it's kind of overwhelming. But here are some things that you can do, some ministries to engage in, to help reach the lost, to build the body, and to serve. Uh, one right back there. You guys will turn right there. There's, a, there's a, a banner there, a sign saying Mission of Hope. We have adopted Lone Jack Elementary School as our, in Pineville uh, as, our, as our school to serve. The, uh, one of the students there lost uh, everything in a fire. The story is, is, is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, Mission of Hope is uh, getting stuff together to basically uh, give them Every, they lost everything. So if you need it in the home, that's what they need. And Benson Gregory, where are you, Benson? Raise your hand. Uh, I where are you? Yeah, back there. Okay, cool. He will be over there. If you want to hear more about the story, he'll be over there. We're collecting things. He's hoping to take it down there tomorrow. 
um, to, for, for that family. Uh, second thing, we have a Honduras mission trip coming up in, in May, uh, last week in May, in June. We're going to serve our two uh, missionaries down there, Laura uh, Baxter and Rob Esposito. Um, I'm, I'm hopefully getting a trip to India, a least of these uh, trip to India uh, sometime October, November uh, that was put on hold from 2020. We'll be visiting leper colonies. We will be uh, serving uh, communities of, of blind people. It's called the least of these for a reason because we're going to the least reached, the most, the, 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 the most neglected and the poorest people in the world. And they're sitting there over there in India and, and we're going to be going over there serving our orphanage as well. Um, we just started Fathers in the Field ministry, uh, ministry to fatherless boys. It looks like we have possibly two uh, uh, potential uh, field buddies uh, that came. Uh, we're going to start interviewing them. If you know a single mother with a uh, with, with father is not involved at all, boy between 7 and 17 years old, we want to talk to you because we're starting ministry to, uh, to, to reach that boy and minister to the single mom as well. Next, mo- ne- next month in March, we're starting a, 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 a foster care, adoptive care support team. We're going to have a room with, uh, with, with bags, with $50 gift cards uh, to Walmart, to uh, everything that, that when, a, when a foster placement comes to one of our foster family or any foster family, we're going to support them. We're also going to have a, a list of people that w- are willing to do respite care to, to, uh, for foster families, to go out of town for a weekend, to get away, to, just, you know, to, to, to take a break. We're going to have an approved list of that. If you're interested in doing respite care, I want to talk to you. Um, there are, I just talked with my friend Rick Burdett, who is now working at a, a mission group here in Central Kentucky. They are now, they started a three-year commitment out of Western Kentucky. Uh, they, they have arranged housing and food. All they need are workers. If you are an electrician, a plumber, a carpenter, um, we need those skilled people. And we also need grunts that can go get nails and who can move boards and everything like that. We can, we can uh, for three years, we can run mission trips down there to help rebuild Western Kentucky. We now have the logistics to do it. And Rick Burdett's a friend of mine. I trust everything he says. He will, it, it'll be fantastic. So there's so many mission opportunities that we're engaging in. It's almost like trying to drink from a fire hose. But I'm telling you people, it is time to start re-engaging in ministry. It is time to start being catalyst again. And so if you are interested in engaging in any of those ministry opportunities, I want to talk to you. I want to, I'll get you hooked up with the right people, but it is time to seek and save the lost because that's what churches that put God first do. I want to invite the band to come on back up. And I want you to, I, I want just some, some time for you to think about what we've talked about today. I want you to ask, where am I in that discipleship phase? Am I, have I not repented? Do I, need to, do I need to repent today? This is a good place to do that. It's church, okay? Uh, have I never been baptized? I, I, if you've never taken that step, that's what Peter said to do. That's what, that's what, that's what the, uh, the Bible says to do. Repent, be baptized. If you've never really become part of the community, if you're kind of a, a pew sitter, kind of a, a Sunday morning attender, but you've never really engaged in men's ministry or women's ministry or gotten in a community group or really <laughs> dedicated yourself here, I want to ask you to do that. This says three. Stage four, if you've never discipled someone, if you are a Christian that's been a Christian for 20, 30 years, you have a lot to offer. There's somebody that needs you. There's somebody that needs to meet with you. There's somebody that needs your wisdom. There's someone that needs you to pray with them. There's someone that needs you to lead them through scriptures and pass on what you know. That's all discipleship is, you all. 
Just call up, call up a, a, a friend or a younger person or somebody, or, or somebody that just isn't as far along in their faith as you and say, hey, you know, I'd like to start meeting with you. Let's get coffee. Let's get lunch. And let's just talk Jesus. Let's just talk Jesus. Here's a book that really inspired me. I want to go through this with you. Do that. That's called discipleship. And if you are, I'm going to say this. If you are sitting out there today and you have a specific call to full-time ministry, and God is calling you to be a church planter. It doesn't have to be right now, but if that fires you up and interests you, I wanna talk to you. I first decided to be a church planter in 1998, and it took 10 years before that plan came to fruition. It may be 10 years from now, but we want people who are willing to plant churches, full-time ministry, Bite the bullet, take the tough road, and go do it, because that's how we reach the lost. I want to talk to you. God bless you. Let's stand up, and let's worship God, this amazing, awesome God who's here to seek and save the lost.